The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the gospel of the Lord. The master said, take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I have given to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? It's an illustration I believe I've used before, but it's one that always sticks out in my mind. I think it's very poignant when you think about the thing about just the aspect of how we covet and how our natural inclination is to look at what we don't have and to want it. And the illustration is this. Do you remember being a child or seeing a child unwrap presents on Christmas and the reaction is not what you thought it would be or thought it should be? Everyone's happy. There's toys to be had under that thin veneer of wrapping paper and they open it up and you see their face go from this joyful expectation to dejection, to disappointment, to even frustration and sometimes anger. The gift that they had been looking at probably for a few days or weeks sitting there under the tree is not what they wanted. I didn't ask for this. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong Bread, bread, it's the, it's the wrong brand. My sibling got something bigger, and I know how much that cost at the store. This cost less. What's going on, mom and dad? Now, apart from the awkwardness of just sort of witnessing this sort of thing, if you've ever been in the situation, especially if there's like non-family members present, I've, I've seen it before. It's just sort of embarrassing. You don't really know what to say or do. You'll, you look down and... And if you're me, you turn a little red because you remember the time that you were the kid doing that and saying that and wonder if other people remember it in your family. But it does provide an opportunity for reflection if you've been in that situation, doesn't it? You think about how this kid, poor kid, doesn't have enough life experience to realize how utterly ungrateful this reaction is to, to receive a gift from somebody and then to have such a sour response. You might think, this kid doesn't realize the alternative isn't having some perfect present to unwrap, but really the alternative 
push comes to shove, is to not have a gift at all. They don't see in the moment that that gift, even if it's not perfectly what they wanted, is such a wonderful token of how much somebody, probably their parents or grandparents, cares about them and loves them and wants them to be happy and have good things in life. And you sit there as you watch this with the hope and the reasonable expectation that one day they'll grow out of it. One day they'll hopefully remember this and be a little ashamed of it and not do the same thing when they become an adult or at least hide their reaction better. They will gain needed perspective one day. Now, I think that there's an adult version of this. The frustrated kid unwrapping presents. There's a version of that that you see with grown-ups. And it's not about presents per se, okay? We're pretty good about saying thank you and being content and just thankful for the relationship which produced the desire to give a present in the first place. But there's an adult version towards this, and it's not towards other people who give us things, but I think it's towards God, right? Think about it. It's the type of person who has things in life, as life itself, takes stock of the things that they've been given, the people they've been given, the place, the time, the setting that they are, and all the rest of it, and they're malcontent. Not just malcontent, but they are downright unhappy, frustrated, even angry with God. Sometimes this sort of disappointment consists inside of a vacuum, or more specifically, it's, it's internal, and it's just thinking about me, myself, and the things of my life, and I'm just upset based off of that alone. But at other times, I think, and probably more often, it's in comparison. Comparison to other people. The folks around us. I look at what they have, I look at what I have, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. We look over the fence, and we see what the neighbors have, and ask the question internally at least, hmm, why not me? Why can't my lawn, figuratively speaking, look as good as theirs. We look at the portion of daily bread we've been given from the Lord, and we don't say thank you, but we are indignant that it's not more. I want more. I need more. I deserve more. Now the reason this sort of thinking happens, I think it's easy enough to spot, easy enough to understand. And Lutherans always get this one right as well, we should. We understand that being a Christian doesn't mean you're just free from sin all of a sudden, if only it were that. We have the sinful nature which hangs around our neck and on our back like a massive weight. And the old Adam daily drags us down to do things that are contrary to God's goodwill for how we should love him and love our neighbor. But we know that, right? <laughs> So to say, well, the problem really is that we're sinners, it's kind of like going to a doctor with a problem and he's saying, well, you're sick. You're a mortal person that gets sick sometimes. Thanks a lot, doctor. That wasn't worth the copay. But more specifically, I think that when we find ourselves or witness this sort of thinking, it's because we or the other person thinks that in a cosmic sense, we've actually earned it. We've earned the good that we haven't been given because of who we are, what we are, perhaps what we've done, we think that God does, in fact, owe us just a little bit more. Now, maybe it's not all of us here. Maybe it's not all the time, 
But I'm going to go ahead and be willing to guess that what I'm saying describes you, if you think back to your past, describes you at least once. You've had this sort of thought, this sort of feeling about what the Lord has blessed you with in comparison to other people. And you've had some version of the sentence go through your mind, I deserve this good. I deserve it. Or at least I don't deserve this bad thing that I have or am going through. Now perhaps it might be it's just good old-fashioned works righteousness rearing its ugly head, thinking the good deeds we've done outweigh the bad. Or maybe it is just the simple, like we heard in the parable from the gospel lesson, the simple comparative idea. I worked all day in the scorching heat compared to these guys who came in at the end and they got the same thing as me. But regardless, I think if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you also know already what I'm about to say. That's a horrible way to think about it. It's a really bad take. It's a really bad frame to have for your life and the things that God has given you in that life. The workers who worked the whole day in the parable, the indignant ones that are frustrated that everybody got the same pay, you see, they actually were kind of blind. It's a parable, but it kind of reminds me of the healing miracles where people can't see, right? Because they don't see the bigger picture. It's not just that they could have, instead of getting more money, just had no job and no wages as the real alternative, but they don't see and they don't recognize and they don't get in that moment of frustration inventing to the master that the wages that they got were his to give. And the master says as much, can I not do what I will with what belongs to me? Think about Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness during the 40 years after their slavery in Egypt before they entered into Cana, into the promised land. They were hungry, and so they grumbled against the Lord. And the Lord gave them the manna. But the thing is, even though the Lord was gracious, and even though they were hungry, it was still the Lord's manna to give. It was still inside of his power, will, and his prerogative to give them food or not, to give them water or not, as we heard in the first lesson, to take care of them. They had the need and the desire, sure, but it was God's gift, God's provision, and God's alone to give when he did. The potter indeed, to use Paul's metaphor from Romans, the potter has the right to make of the clay whatever he wants to. The clay can't say back to him, why well, you, wish you'd made me into a sculpture, not a bowl, not a pot. No, of course it's absurd. The potter can do what he wills, and the Lord can make, give, provide, take, according to his will, because indeed we are the clay. We are his creatures in his world, his creation, not ours, which means he can take or give whatever he wants from us. Regardless of our ideas of fairness compared to others, regardless of our ideas or our concept of merit for how we think we measure up. And who indeed are we to contend with Almighty God to say back to him, I disagree. And so it's a kind of a simple lesson, almost a Sunday school lesson this morning I want you to take away with and go home and think about this week. 
don't begrudge God's generosity to you. Don't begrudge it by yourself. Don't begrudge it when you think about your neighbor, your family, your friends, and what others have that they've been given by the Lord. But receive, rather, the daily bread that God gives you in all of its manifestations with thanksgiving. Thank you for my life, God. Thank you for the people and the things that you have placed in front of me. Thank you even for the obstacles and the difficulties which have had the wonderful effect of driving me back towards you and reminding me time and again that I need you, your help, and your salvation. If other people have more than you, rejoice. Rejoice that they have been blessed. Rejoice with them. If other people have less than you or have had things taken away from them, mourn with them. And insofar as you have the ability, help them. But above all, remember your place before God. Remember who he is, who you are, and from your heart, be truly grateful. He has given you life. He has given you eternal life and the forgiveness of sins through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that enough ought to be every day enough for us to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true.